Hi, everybody. This is Richard Hatch, Tom Zarek on the new Battlestar Galactica, and you're listening to the Galactica Quorum, and it's a fracking podcast. It was a very life-changing experience to be on Battlestar. You already pissed off the original fans when you did the new reimagined version. Hello, welcome to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. It's a fracking podcast about Battlestar Galactica. I am Brian. I'm Michelle. And I'm Dimitri. We have a website that is galacticacorum.com and an email that's gquorum at gmail.com and a voicemail that is 301-358-5175. So you can send us voicemail questions. We also have a Twitter account that is Galactica Quorum. You can follow us on Facebook as well. Just a little bit of introduction. Since we're at Dragon Con, this is our live Dragon Con show. We uh, cover Battlestar Galactica, but we also cover a lot of other geek topics. We have a lot of experience covering other topics because Battlestar had lots of off-season time. So we uh, managed to learn how to talk about other things in the interim. Now that Battlestar is over, we are going to be talking a lot about Caprica as well. We started this podcast as a bunch of friends talking about the show every Monday when it was on Sundays. We talked a lot in the office, and we eventually decided, uh, you know, we should really record this. And well, actually, Brian, every Monday, would say, we should record this. We should do a podcast. And then next week, we should record this. We should do a podcast. And then a couple months later, we should record this. We should do a podcast. And I say, okay, look, listen. I don't know what you're talking about. You set it up. I'll talk anywhere. So the podcast was born. And that's what happened. Almost three years later, come November, that's where we'll be. So we're having a great time at Dragon Con. Dragon Con's great because you get to see so much of the Battlestar experience along with everything else. And I think for me this year, it was different because the show, as it concluded already, has anyone been to previous Dragon Cons and been to the panels in the previous years? Did you sense a different vibe this year? How did you feel it was different? It's more relaxed, more calm. Oh, we have a microphone. Woo-hoo. It almost seems more subdued. Boom! And ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Richard Hatch is injured. Have, have a seat. No, no, right. no, no problem. I felt that was different because, well, obviously we knew a lot of the mysteries, and before they would answer questions, and they would, you know, obviously not tell us any spoilers, but we were hanging on every word, and this time, it was kind of like, have you been to the Firefly Q&As, where it's a lot of, do you remember that time when, I think they've graduated into that, but I think next year, I'm looking forward to next year, because next year when Caprica rolls around, I'm presuming that they're going to have a lot of Caprica presence here. Did anyone get a chance to talk to James Marsters? Are you aware that he has a role in Caprica? Yes. Yeah, he has a role as a terror, yeah, some sort of terrorist figure. I asked him very generally what his experience was so far, and he said it was, has been great. And he has done two episodes so far. And the comment that he said was Battlestar was working on like a show like no other because they adapt to things just so well. Like if something doesn't work on the day, they're changing it. They'll come up with something new. And maybe Richard can address that. Yeah, I think it, what was really cool about this show is that uh, unlike most shows, people get stuck in th- how things should be and doing it a certain way. And, you know, they do the obvious casting and then everybody kind of plays the role they've been given. And uh, this is a show where you could be an extra on the show. You could be given a few lines, very much like Aaron Douglas pretty much an extra in the first show 
And because his presence really has an impact and because they're looking for it, they're very open to seeing what the actors are doing and what's happening on the set, taking advantage of epiphanies and what we call windows of opportunity because something cool is happening, a character seems to be popping off the screen, they start to develop that character. So a lot of characters came on there and they might have been a one-shot deal or, you know, just kind of background and ultimately ended up being frontline characters. And uh, obviously this is a show that has very talented, gifted people who step out of the box or willing to to be out of the box and uh, willing to really sit there and find the most exciting way to do things. I mean, they work with five or six cameras. The directors and the producers and the actors all collaborate. And if there's a problem, you don't have to sit there trying to make a phone call and hoping somebody's going to be on the other line and that you can get a go to go with some change that you wanted to make. The director, the producer, writer, everybody's right there. So you sit there, you discuss it, you look at it, you get immediate feedback, and then they make decisions, you know, about let's try it this way or let's try it that way. And you can actually try shooting the same scene several times, several different ways. You're not locked into one thing. So I think it's very volatile. You have to be on it. You have to be ready to work. You have to be very present. You can't come to the set with a very locked in way of doing a scene. You can't be frozen with any perception you may have. You have to be open to let it go and let it, you know, kind of take on another purpose, another track, go in a different direction. And Battlestar is very unlike any series I've ever been on. And I'm sure everybody that comes on that show is going to be blown away uh, by the experience they have. Although I will say... It can be terrifying to some actors because they memorize and learn everything a certain way and they got a very clear choice about how they want to play the scene and then they come and they realize the other actors are not playing along with them and they're coming at it a way that totally blows them out of the water unless they're willing to let it go and be in the moment and really be willing to let the scene go where it wants to go. It was an extraordinary experience and uh, I just think this is the way all movies should be made. It doesn't take more time. Honestly, it's just, they're right there. It's very immediate, very energizing, very creative, and probably more collaboration than any show I've ever been on where you're not being told what to do or this is the way we want it. It's really a collaborative, interactive kind of creative process that uh, every actor dreams about having and rarely has. So uh, Battlestar, uh, thank God it's going on and these other actors are discovering the magic of Battlestar. And it it makes for exciting filmmaking, makes for powerful performances, and uh, you get some of the best writing and sometimes what I would say most interesting shots because you've got these cameras weaving around, getting angles on things. They may be following two or three actors, and yet you get a line coming from another actor that wasn't necessarily part of the shot, and yet they're in an interesting position to the other actors, and they will use that shot just because it's a fresh, unique, interesting way of visualizing the story. It was a very life-changing experience to be on Battlestar. We'll talk a little bit about Battlestar going on in the future, not just Caprica, but other projects besides the one we're familiar with. I just want to stay up front that we're not going to focus on the finale uh, on this panel. Okay, I think it's been done uh, several different panels this weekend, and our podcast, we devoted several episodes to it. But what did you think of it? No. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, We can talk a bit later, perhaps if we have time or offline uh, after the show. What about the final episode do you not want to talk about? Uh, No, we're not going to go there. What I would like to talk about, actually, the focus is the fact that Battlestar seems like it's going to have a new life yet again, and that Brian Singer, who was originally developing the series back around 2000, 2001 with Glenn Larson, is going to be doing a movie, or they're developing a movie, 
And I would like to get Richard's perspective about, because he started a project to begin Battlestar, a continuation of Battlestar, and you know, whatever development or attachment that you had with them at that time, maybe you could enlighten us on how this... In terms of the uh, this movie, and again, I've learned one thing, which is don't form rigid, locked-in judgments about things, because every time I've really made a judgment, I've turned out to be wrong. I find that there are many ways to do anything, and you never know when somebody's going to surprise you and come up with something you know extraordinary that you didn't think about. I mean, when I think offhand of going back and doing another reimagined version of Battlestar, it's like, wow, we you know we did the original. Then we came back and did the reimagined version. And in the beginning, of course, you pissed off a whole bunch of fans because nobody was listening and everybody wanted to see a continuation. Usually when they bring back shows anyway, they usually screw them up and then they're usually uh, bastardized. And the heart and soul of what makes fans fall in love with the story is usually gone. It's very rare when they bring back a classic or some story that we loved and somebody gets it. Somebody understands what it's all about. They may not do it in exactly the same way you wanted to see them do it, but they come up with a very powerful, viable direction and they do an extraordinary job, which I think is what they did with the new show. They found a way to really go into the core life and death story in a very, very unique and interesting way that I think illuminated the human condition, very much what we have been going through as a, as a humanity here over the past 10 years since uh, 9-11, dealing with post-apocalyptic 9-11 type scenarios, dealing with, you know, looking in the mirror and facing your own humanity, your own flaws, imperfections, realizing, you know, how many of us were put into morally conflicting and ambiguous situations after 9-11 on a number of levels. But I think um, with the new Battlestar, my thought was, well, what do you do? I mean, where I knew Tom DeSanto was doing something similar, although his own version of that, his own story, to what I had done in the Battlestar books, the novels I did, which picked up the series about 25 to 30 years later and followed the ragtag fleet with a new generation of children now born in space, which I thought was an interesting story element, finding out what it would be like to really be born in space, be born after a post-9-11 type thing, and really what would the relationships be dealing with a lot of situations where their families were, either one or both of their parents were killed. So you have a whole really kind of a interesting bunch of children growing up and what kind of personalities would they have and what how would they look at the world, what would be their perceptions, and then having to deal with the older generation on that fleet. I thought that was a very interesting story. We explored that in my series of books. And I think that Tom DeSanto was doing very much, again, his version, his story of where the fleet would be 30 years later, using several of the original actors and having a new generation of our children born in space who have now grown up to be the same ages as we were when the, the original show came out. So that I, I thought that was really interesting, and that was covering, obviously, new territory. The problem is we've had the beginning in the original show. The new show came out, and it angered and pissed off a lot of fans, although some of those fans finally crossed over, and they uh, got talked into finally taking a look at the new show, and many of them realized that, okay, this may not be the same as the original show. Maybe I like the original show better. But, you know, one way or the other, they realized this was an incredible rendition. This was an incredible sci-fi show, well-acted, well-directed, well-produced. And uh, I think a, a lot of fans did find that they could love both shows for different reasons. But here we are. We've covered that same territory. If you're not going to do a continuation, which is about 25 to 30 years later, kind of dealing with two generations of Battlestar Galacticans, which kind of builds a bridge with some of the original characters and then adding new characters, if you're not going to do that, if you're going to go back and reimagine it again from the start without any of the original actors, well, 
what new territory are you covering? You know, you've already covered it twice. Plus, you already pissed off the original fans when you did when you did when you did the new reimagined version. And now the new reimagined version fans, who include some of the original fans and also a whole new generation of fans. I actually saw a shirt yeah. uh, that said Frack Brian Singer. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Ron Moore got a lot of that, too, in the beginning. But Ron Moore really did something extraordinary. And I think he was able to overcome a lot of resistance just by the sheer ability to actually go back and cover a time frame that wasn't we weren't able to do all the things we wanted to do 30 years ago. 30 years ago, the networks and studios were very afraid of being too edgy, too provocative, going into any direction that might alienate any portion of the audience. So they weren't really able to really mine the, the emotional and dramatic possibilities of the original show. That's why they kept it very lighthearted. Obviously, the mythology and the chemistry of the characters you know, endeared people, but they weren't able to really go into the core story very much. So that was a lot of unexplored territory that the new show was able to go into. So they weren't covering the same stuff the original show did. Similar storyline, but they were able to go into a lot of new areas and uh, really kind of show us, the audience, what that experience was really like in a much more provocative way. So, you know, in a way, they were not covering the same territory. So once you've done that now with the new show, if you go back and you reimagine it again, now it seems to me you're going to piss off the new generation of fans because they would like to see a movie of the new show. They've fallen in love with these new characters. And then you're going to piss off the original fans because they're reimagining the original show, not with a new generation of characters, but with the same characters in a different way. So in a weird way, you're kind of violating two core audiences. You know. Can we just take a quick temperature of the room? Like, Have you heard about this Brian Singer project? Had not? Do, okay, so what's your first blush? Do you, Can you tell us more about it? Brian Singer was the director of X-Men and Superman Returns. As I understand it, and maybe Richard can correct me, but he was very early on with the... Now, is the, is the DeSanto project the same one that Brian Singer was on? Yeah. The, okay, so that, yeah. early on, Brian Singer was attached to the DeSanto project, which was going to be the reimagined Battlestar, no, or the continuation, I'm continuation, sorry. Continuation, yeah. Continuation. That was in 2000 or about 2001. Then 9-11 happened, and I don't know if networks got skittish about apocalyptic type of scenarios or whatever, but they backed off. Ron Moore and David Icke came in, and they took up the flag from there. And then Battlestar, as we know it, for the reimagined happened. So what's happened now is Brian Singer is back, and Glenn Larson is producing, Glenn Larson being the original creator of Battlestar Galactica from the 1970s show. As I said, Brian Singer directed X-Men and Superman Returns and Valkyrie. Well, but he has some geek cred, right? So hearing that, what is your impression that there's going to be... And I also read this isn't like going to happen tomorrow, that they're developing it. So it could be a couple years down the road. But what do you think? I think the reimagination was fantastic. I think if the continuation project had come along too, that probably would have been accepted or rejected in the same ways. But where do you go from with such a definitive ending to the reimagined series? You know, will this pick up from the original series? You know, where, where does it pick up? Well, it picks and up from the original. From the original you know, series. Reimagine the original. Right. So yeah. how many people are, you know, I think core fans will watch it. But anyone else, I don't think you're going to pick up new viewers. It's going to be yet another Battlestar Galactica. So I don't know how many, how many outside of, the, of core Galactica fans you're going to get. 
Well, just based on the on the directors and the X-Men and Superman, I see it as a, a more action, right. sort of a superhero type of movie. And so I think if you have those directors, then the chances of getting a new a new audience are higher because they're coming into it from, a, oh, he directed just this. Just following his work. Following right. his work. And that was exciting for me. And so this will be exciting, possibly. Right. Got a guy over here. And where are you from? Well, my name's Enormous from Australia. Um, I just want to get that out because I, I was talking to him before and I was like, wow, this guy came off in Australia. <laughs> well, just to see us. Yeah, <laughs> right. that's it, boys. You think that? Yeah. Um, oh. I think that uh, Ron Moore and crew have set an incredibly high bar for anyone to follow. For people to say that the original miniseries, now being from Australia at the time, we had to try really hard to get this. I couldn't buy it. I had to acquire it by other means. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, watch it 18 months later. And I wasn't going to wait 18 months. So I really wanted to watch it, and I love that miniseries. Everyone can say it was bad. It just blew me away. The fact that you had he reversed the genders, the fact that he just tipped all the conventions on the head, that was powerful stuff. And to go that, I mean, how do you actually surpass that? I think it will be quite difficult for anyone to try, and I think they'll fail. One of the things that I heard, and one of the reasons why they wanted to do this movie version, and I have to say that Tom DeSanto was highly involved in, at least in the early you know, aspects of this. I don't know if he's still involved now with Brian Singer and, and Glenn Larson, I don't know. But the thought was always, the original show reached a very wide audience. It was a show that the whole family could go see. And the new show, being much more edgy and provocative, really was not a family show for the most part. So the thought was, is that, okay, that this new reimagined version got critical acclaim, we're very proud of it, this is, I'm talking now from the hearsay of, of what the executives seem to be saying. So if we go back to the original kind of concept, which is a little bit more like pop space opera, you know, feeling like Star Wars, with story, with character, but at the same time, more fun, you know, kind of that more energetic approach to it, less dark, not taking itself quite so seriously. They felt that they would be able to go and garner a far bigger audience share. And obviously being the movies, they feel like to make it successful. I mean, even Firefly, with as many fans as they had, were not able to make a movie successful based on the existing model, financial model that is used. I think there's different ways to do that, and people are exploring it. But I think that they felt that if they could reach a wider audience, Galactic had the stuff to be successful on a much larger scale because the original Battlestar demonstrated it and they felt that if they could go back and kind of pattern it after that same kind of feeling and energy that the original had yet make it a little darker, a little edgier, obviously evolve the Cylons and add new elements to it, that they would kind of have a balance between the original show and the new show but it would reach a far bigger audience which is the reason why I think they've decided to move forward with it. The question I want to know is if I don't know if Tom is involved or if Brian is totally on his own with this, with Glenn. I have no idea or if Glenn sold the rights. You know, it's just maintaining a producer position like he did on the new show. I have no idea who's going to be driving the story. But I have to say, I hope it succeeds one way or the other because I not only love Battlestar, but I always felt Battlestar deserved to be in the movies. And after watching the original Battlestar movie put on the uh, IMAX, which we did at the 25th Battlestar Anniversary Convention. I had never seen it on the big screen like that. And uh, I got to tell you, the matte paintings needed a little work. <laughs> you know, there, there, there was problems, obviously. Some of the CGI, you know, obviously could be improved, but it didn't matter. 
that movie looked, even for today, that thing's 30 years old, looked absolutely amazing on the IMAX screen. So I don't think anybody else has seen it on the IMAX screen. Not just a movie screen, but the IMAX screen. So I'm hoping they find some viable way to do it. And I was certainly wrong with Ron Moore. I thought nobody could reimagine Battlestar and not alienate just about every fan out there. Since every fan I know, if you change it even a little, they're pissed off. I thought, how are they going to do this and really garner enough fans? And they proved me wrong. Not only they proved me wrong, but it was a rarity to bring back a classic and actually be able to do it with such an extraordinary group of actors, writers, directors, and come up with such an amazing rendition of Battlestar. Usually that doesn't happen. We had every reason to be afraid. Do you have a question? One thing in, in what you just said then, Richard, worries me is that, okay, so they want to make it more like Star Wars. So will the Cylons evolve into Ewoks? I mean, it, seriously, we're going to dumb down a yeah. fantastic series, potentially, to make it available to a G audience. That, that scares the living daylights well, out they're gonna, you No, know, it's not going to that extreme. I think what we're saying here is that they're going to make the Cylons edgier, obviously have more backstory, be far more complex. It's not going to be, when we say like Star Wars, we say that Star Wars had a mass appeal. It went beyond the sci-fi demographic. So they feel in order to justify the budget and be able to go out there and be a hit and successful, they have to have a story that moves beyond the sci-fi demographic and will reach that larger audience, which means they just want to have a little more sense of humor, more fun with it, kind of, again, that kind of energy that Star Wars had. You know, it's just a different way of doing something. And obviously Star Wars, and, and I have to tell you, I had a lot of problems with Star Wars. I loved Star Wars growing up, but when they brought it back, I don't know how many people, when they brought it back, the the final three stories, but it wasn't that the story itself was bad, but I just really felt like, my God, there was just so much missing in those stories that we originally fell in love with, with the first three Star Wars stories. But again, what I'm trying to say is these were characters we could relate to, characters that we loved. They had a fun relationship, and yeah, there was drama, but for them, they felt that they kept it light enough and they kept it on top enough so that they didn't alienate anybody. And you could certainly bring your children, bring the whole family to it. And that's the feeling. They want to see if they can balance. And again, I, I don't want to sit there defending because I don't know exactly what they're going to do. This is what I've heard. They want to balance off what the original show had with what the new show had in terms of being edgier and darker. But they want to find that balance in between that will allow them to reach the wider audience. So hopefully you have a question? they find a way to do it. Yeah, I mean, thinking maybe they could have a more stable life, like on the last series of Battlestar, it was such an effort to live every day. You didn't know if you were going to live or die. Your supplies were reduced, that kind of thing. So maybe in a new series, they can be more stable. They can have access to planets um, with casinos and really cool dancers with lights. That would be fantastic. (laughs) Um, That's one thing that was missing um, that I was really looking forward to seeing. Maybe that's how they'll do it, live a more stable life, but still have the threat of the Cylon, but I guess maybe be, live a happier life. It's interesting, um, as we're talking about this, and we're talking about how the tone would be different between the movie version that we're talking about and the reimagined series. I was interested in what made them greenlight it besides a potential monetary reason. What's appealing about it for them to want to have this franchise to reboot like every 10 15 years they reboot batman or there's always a new james bond that comes out there's just something archetypal about some of these stories and and it even goes beyond just some of the likable characters because there's something about it is it the searching that they're trying to is it the survival aspect okay you have a thought about can you share the microphone you know i was a fan of the original series i think that for me maybe it's because i was a kid but for me it was the journey of searching 
you know, mm-hmm. searching for that, that connection with other humans. And this one, what was so great about this one was actually the opposite of what she was saying, I thought, was that daily survival and that knowledge that there's so few humans left. And how do you make that explode with limited resources and with the threat of Cylons breathing down your neck all the time? The episode where they had to keep jumping and jumping and jumping was really intense. And there really wasn't much to it. Mm. But yet, you're sitting on the edge of your seat the whole time. You know, what's going to happen at the next jump? What's going to happen? It, it was like this dark cloud. And, and that's what life can be like at times, you know? Mm. Anyone else have anything that they think really makes the Battlestar story so appealing? And- well, sorry to hog the microphone, but there's lots <laughs> of other, aside from making a new movie, there's lots of other stories I believe they could, they could pursue in the arc. Like the Bulldog story is one that keeps coming to mind with me. I mean, what actually happened to Bulldog? Was it Bulldog? Yeah. yeah. The dark fella pole yeah, who yeah. got caught out. Yeah. I mean, he was out there for years. And that'd be just a, a right. great three or four episodes. Like you mentioned, like the Bulldog or is it Mad Dog, whoever story. Uh, I've always been an advocate. I, I've always loved in the Razor mini-sodes where they find that ship and uh, the people are locked in. They're like, uh, we're on the Diana. Help us. Get us out. And then they take off. And I always wonder what happened to those people on that, that ship. I thought that would be a great spinoff if they uh, had just followed them somehow and then they had somehow broken free or had their own mission out there. And that was 40 years ago. When, you know. And there's lots of other stories. Are you people like fanfic type of people? Do you have ideas that you wish that you could have told in terms of... One of the reasons I, I walked in here was because I'm actually trying to write a story. And I was one of the questions that was dogging me was, uh, how many people do you need to have in a society or in a story so that you can go down a couple of levels and it's possible to have somebody not know somebody else? And, and that's one reason I came in here, because I know there was like, I'm about to embarrass myself. I am a huge fan, um, but I've only seen like the first season and then a little bit into the second season, so I'm a little behind. Um, what happened? <laughs> What's this You're going to have to Netflix about? that. Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll pick it up. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, we all were talking about, it seems like the, the conversation you're steering is like, uh, what's going to happen next? Apparently they closed down the series. But I got the impression when in the first season, and I'm sorry to go far back, but it was sort of like you had so many people, and they were all soldiers. There were nothing except for, you know the leaders to distinguish them from one to another. They were all humans, and maybe they had some equipment. And so the mechanics of the, of the story seemed to revolve around you know fighting wars. And so it was sort of like G.I. Joe. You know? And then you had the family, military aspect where everyone sort of bonded together because they had a frame of reference to talk about. And I think that's what the story is really about. And so when you guys are throwing in, like, you know, where, where's the story going to go from here? Uh, I'm left to consider, well, you know, and we can add in other races. But every time I come up with another idea, it sounds like a ripoff of Star Trek or, you know, it adds in another. And so it no longer is uh, Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> There's so much I could say well, right now the, for a guy who has not seen. Well, in the, in the seventh, in the seventh <laughs> really the last sorry. episode. I was a youngster in the 70s, yeah, but dog. in those series, in, you know, the ones that I got to see in reruns and so, they met uh, new people on different planets, so it wouldn't necessarily be a ripoff. You know, the lost episodes, you know there's some out there, you know, you can actually, from the first season to the second season, they're on this planet, and they're not doing anything, well, you can have them do something, you can actually go back and take a look at some of this stuff. I thought y'all did that on purpose, actually. Yep. <laughs> go ahead. The, the lady in front? <laughs> Hi, I'm Jen. I'm Dimitri's wife. I think that the Bible for the reimagined Battlestar is rich enough that there are lots of other stories that could be told that could be accessible to a family. You don't have to go dark with all of it. 
I think Brian's right. Like I'd love to sort of see more about the Diana or maybe the Pegasus or what's it like to be living in a community in this fleet that's jumping across the galaxy trying to get away from their pursuers. And it doesn't have to be as controversial and dark as this Battlestar sometimes went. I don't know. I'm worried about an entirely another um, line of story that doesn't have anything to do with what we've come to see in the last four years. Would you you be just a curiosity um, if they had said we're going to do. I mean, for me, I've always been fascinated by Kane and the Pegasus. I was always curious what that story was about, you know, the Pegasus story and the Kane story. Would that have been of interest if they decided to make the Pegasus movie? You know, Not Elster for me. Pegasus, I think they told that? that story already, the, the Kane story. I wouldn't be opposed for their, another battle star or, or another group of ships or a station out, kind of like deep space battle star, you know, out there. Just one more group of uh, ships. I, but I'm done with Pegasus. From this perspective of Pegasus, maybe in that instance, it is a good place. There had to be civilians with them, right? And they, and from what we saw when they came back into the picture, those civilians were really oppressed by this military regime. And that could be a really interesting, because it kind of went opposite with Galactica. And I just think there's so much to be mined. It just I think seems you can almost go the opposite direction. We saw the military side, the military side, and what if there was like yeah. something more commercial, like maybe they're, for lack of a better word, say pirates or just some or mercenaries or, you know, we talked about Cat having the background where she was a smuggler because she had to do. What if there was just something that was a little shady that a group, yeah, something that uh, that they were running guns or they're doing something, and so they they didn't have the military structure or they didn't have the the rigid authority to keep them in line, and yet they had to get it together and they had to find someone who's going to be the guy that said we're doing it this way or we're going to just be dead i think that would be interesting so yeah i agree there's there's a lot of things that they could do and you know what i don't think that they're not open to doing them i think in the future sci-fi network whatever cfi whatever they're called i think they will uh eventually see what, what is that word <laughs> <laughs> i think they'll they'll see that they yeah. they have a lot of material there that they can exploit, for lack of a better word, because that's really what they're going to do. My only hope is when they do greenlight some of these shows, which I think are inevitable, and in these little movies, that they will have a good production team behind them. Like, for all that on our podcast, sometimes we've said things like, oh, my God, I can't believe they did that and run more of the last 30 minutes. Oh, my God. But still. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. But... Still, uh, that core team, some of those writers and producers are just so good. And I would hope that they would gift whatever series that they do do in the future with uh, people who are just as talented. I'd like to answer your question. I would like to see the Pegasus series. Because I I think that Adama was a loving father figure, so to speak, right? And I think Kane was the opposite of a loving father figure. And it would be nice to see her journey to when they got reunited with the Galactica because a lot of the stories where Adama had to make a decision, it was, you know, you know, you're kind of like my daughter. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And it'd be nice to see what, what Kane's reaction would be. Or I, I think her, her, we know that, but yes, yes, but, but <laughs> Brian hates it. Okay. But, I would like to see it, even though you know what the end is and you've got a little backstory watching Galactica. There's, I think there's a lot of stuff inside, in between those two points that would be fun to watch. See, I totally agree. And I, my only thought is, is that I didn't get enough of the Pegasus. For me, that whole story would have been really, really interesting to see what happened afterwards and to see those relationships. And it would have been even more interesting that they didn't have civilians 
that this is a total military regime without... Right, or whatever, but the point was the Galactica kind of explored that relationship between the civilian population and the military. It would have been interesting with the Pegasus to be that wild card rogue leader and that very military-oriented show, just really dealing with that world. What would they would do? How would they function? I was curious about that, and I also think that Kane, for me, was a father, but, and this is really interesting, I think we had the kind of military father that basically we can identify with, human, flawed, but, you know, loves and cares about their children. But, see, Kane, for me, cared too. One of the things that was hard for me in the beginning was that Michelle Forbes, incredible actress, her tough love decisions, decisions that I thought, could I make them, those kinds of life and death decisions that would kill human beings in order to save human beings? And it was not easy to like her. And yet, when I really looked at what she was doing and the decisions she was making, I was realizing that she was making decisions that would serve the larger fleet and not for her personal reasons, and that she did care. She wasn't inhuman. She had to set aside her humanity in order to make these kinds of decisions that I, I hate to say very few of us could make in that kind of a war situation. And I would have loved to have seen that story because I hate to say it, I think today, mirroring where the world is, we kind of need that kind of leader who's willing to make tough love decisions that most of us are not going to be happy with and yet could lead to a better day. See, that's a whole other area, I think, that would be really fascinating to explore. My only concern whenever we start getting into reboots, it's you listen, you start hearing, we want to reboot this, we want to reboot that. I love looking at different stories. It's taking a look at a base story and then completely reimagining it that a lot of times scares me because I think... Where's a lot of the imagination to come up with new stories? And I think sometimes it's getting lost when people are just going back to nostalgia. Okay, let's take a look at the Pegasus story. Let's take a look at the story from the civilian side. But then let's take a look and see where the new minds can come up with new ideas. Agreed. All you have to do is see what came out this summer in the movies and so many uh, remakes, sequels. We have a question over here. I was just going to pose the hypothesis of if you want to get the best of both worlds, uh, because I think it's a matter of timing that it's hard to reboot this in, in such a quick time frame that yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, if you want to get the best of both worlds, why not explore Ron Moore's universe, but take it during the first Cylon War and not recycle Starbuck and Apollo. I mean, though we love these characters, but let not try to do that again. Let's just uh, see what thing life was right. like during the first That's Cylon War. That's the one War. thing from the, the Razor movie that I really did like when there were webisodes and they were showing the backstory of Husker, the pilot. I said, this is what I want to see. Especially that actor. He was really good. The one who played young Adama. And, and I'm not necessarily saying, you know, we see Bill Adama Right, but as, just in as that time man, frame, right. it was very within that universe, and it still could have the same tone, the darkness. Also, I did want to point out, uh, given the name of your podcast, you may want to make it a point to leave before Mr. Hatch does. <laughs> just, just a word of warning. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> you know, I, I want to just add real quick. It's going to be an interesting experience that... And remakes, reimaginings, I mean, even with Star Trek, they waited a few, you know, at least a few years they waited to be doing this so quickly. It's going to be interesting to see how, how the audience takes that. I don't know where you're going to find a new audience as much as you're going to find, honestly, you're going to have to bring over both of these groups from the original and the new show, really, is your core audience. It might be interesting. I don't know what they're going to do. Again, they could blow us out of the water and do something we never expected. But if they're going to go back and reimagine the original... 
so that they're going to base it on that mythology, that background, hopefully with the Mayan Egyptian, you know, thing would be cool. But are they going to take those actors, replace us with new actors, maybe add a few new characters or whatever, but essentially move to where our original story ended, right? And pick up there. Or they're going to actually go all the way back to the very starting point that we started at. It's going to be interesting where they choose to make that starting point. Obviously, the new Battlestar went even further back, kind of started when they were on the planet before all the crazy stuff happened, right? So they went back a little further, kind of showed something that we hadn't seen before. But it is going to be hard because the Caprica now is going to be on TV, kind of bridging into where Galactica picked up. So again, it's going to make it really hard not to be confused, you know, in terms of your loyalties and where the story is going. It's going to be interesting what they come up. They're going to have to think about all those things and somehow come up with a solution. I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, let's talk about Caprica. What do you feel like you would like to see in terms of a story from Caprica? Like Battlestar addressed so many issues. Just knowing what we know from Caprica and the time period it's set in, and we know where it ends. That's sort of the thing. What do you think it might be addressing? Like, is it, I should take a poll again. How many of you seen the, the movie that's come out so far? About maybe more than uh, 60% then. Okay. So just for those, uh, the Caprica movie handles the creation of the Cylon technology 40 years prior to the destruction of the colonies. And the series, which will happen in January, is going to take place right after the movie ends. And it's going to be a 22-episode first season. Is that right? So and they're, they're shooting it right now. Right now they're on episode three or four, I believe. Well, I think, since I haven't talked yet and everybody thinks I can't speak, um, <laughs> what I really want to see out of it is I want to see, obviously, the creation of the Cylons, and I want to see how it led up to them really attacking the humans and what all was involved in that. Obviously, from the movie, I was not thrilled with what I think was involved in that, but I'm hoping they show kind Team of the... Teen angst. The, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't happy with that. But, you know, I'm hoping they show why the Cylons decided to kill their parents and what all that involved. No, I've been saying, more, I can guarantee that. That's one thing I yeah. think you'll definitely get in this series. I mean, I've been saying from the beginning that with Galactica, I want to know why the Cylons just decided to up and take the humans out. Well, like we were talking before about the choices you have to make in a small society. What choices could you make? And that was one of the themes of the show. What would you do if you had to do that? And this show... Since the bad stuff hasn't happened yet, what are some of the things that you think they might touch on in terms of lessons or provocative issues that you think they might throw AI at us? AI is AI. bad. Well, well, they told us that the last. Well, sorry, spoiler guy. And the last, you know, closer montage of the finale, you know, was like robots are bad, technology is bad. Which my Roomba will kill me. Yeah, um, <laughs> but we we won't get into that. I but we weren't talking about. We're that. not going to talk about the, the finale. Does anyone have any ideas about? Go ahead. Uh, one of the things that I thought would be interesting about this was to see how we as a people came to the point where these mechanical beings that we learned near the end of this version of Battlestar Galactica, how they had some humanity. I want to see how we, the point where we get, devolve even further to where they have to be more human than us to start a war. That's, that's what I'm hoping we get from that and, and not Twilight Light with Roombas. Okay. All right, you have a question? We have a comment over here? Oh, go ahead. You go oh, yeah, yeah. We'll I'm going to get mine in real quick before you take the mic away. Um, uh, yeah, I've got a physics degree, and so you guys realize you have like an opportunity here to start talking what I guess you guys call hard SF, hard science fiction. So you got you know emergent technology that we're looking at now with quantum computing, for instance. Uh, we've got nanotechnology, for instance. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you guys are addressing that in broad strokes. 
But, um, I mean, y'all can build a, a more technical, logical discussion here. And I want to say that in the next 20 years, I'm predicting, I'm not being a futurist or anything, but I'm saying that more and more of the popular stuff is going to be bent toward the harder SF because that's part of our emergent culture. We've got a whole slew of young people graduating high school now that know way more about computers than we ever hoped to. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I just want to know what your thoughts on that were about developing hard SF into the storyline. Well, it's interesting. For me, the Battlestar Galactica, the show, started very much as a hard science fiction show. They had a whole new take on how they flew the Vipers, and they had little jets to like change the pitch and the yaw. So when they would turn, there would be inertia, and, and just all that hard science fiction that they built into the show. And they eventually started to very slowly seed in a more mystical element. And I, even to the very end, I thought that that was something that was not really going to be the whole crux of the underpinnings, I guess you could say. And I was very shocked, to say the least, that, well, again, spoilers. You guys did a lot of advisors that are steeped in, like, physics Yeah, they did. Uh, Kevin Grazier, who's he's a rocket scientist, Drew and Drew, and he does the technical advising on Eureka as well. If you can see him speak or you can go talk to him, uh, he's a great guy. He's awesome. He uh, works for the JPL, and he fought really hard to get really good science into that show. Just because it wasn't always there doesn't mean that there wasn't a good science advisor. I don't the idea that we find out that the Cylons turn on us because we're bad, bad people. That's not what I want to see at all, actually. I'd rather see the Cylons become self-aware and become evil than, you know, the humans actually built that into their programming and technology is bad and so forth. And I think you'll turn off all those students that should be looking into science and so forth. I think what you're going to find is that you're not going to see them evolving into evil. It's going to be interesting because, number one, they evolve a mythology, a a religious, you know, a spiritual connection, multiple gods, polytheistic. It's going to be interesting to see where they got that from since humans didn't believe that. So maybe somewhere, somehow, that option was there selectively, and they chose it for some reason, maybe just to be different than their parents. It's going to be interesting to watch that evolution, but also to realize that they never perceived themselves as being evil. And the interesting thing about Battlestar has always been, we see the other person as the bad guy, and they're looking at us as the bad guy. The question is, who truly is evil? The question always is, from everybody's point of view, the other guy is wrong. It's going to be interesting to see how they build their reality and that relationship to the humans and how that slowly goes sour. I think that's going to be fascinating if they do that right. And also, I think, I mean, my daughter's only two and she hasn't rebelled yet, but I think (laughs) children rebel... She's starting to, but children rebel against their parents for a slew of reasons, and it's not because their parents are evil. So I think that there'd be probably a wide variety of reasons why the silence decided to rebel. I think there's also an opportunity there to show that it doesn't even have to be programmed, that perhaps there is just this need when you're a complex organism to fill in the gaps. And then as you gain knowledge, that changes, you know, those answers change. I think, and I don't know, I say this right now, I have not read a script, but my thought is... At some point, if technology evolves to a point of self-awareness, how terrified would humans be and what they might do, which would initiate that break, that truly separation where the umbilical cord is broken and the rebellion begins. If you evolve me like Frankenstein, you know, you evolve this living, breathing thing, and then you want to pull the plug on me. I think that trauma, that psychological you know, shattering of that relationship could cause exactly where the Cylons end up going. So I I think it's going to be interesting to see how that story is told. 
And I think the other thing we know is that there's some sort of element of the law coming into the show, or there should be, because the Adamas are a part of the storyline, and Lee's grandfather is a part of the storyline. And I think there's multiple ways that that could go as well, because it could have to do with self-awareness and maybe, I mean, we saw that movie with Robin Williams when he wants to become human and die. He's like a android or something. Okay. You know, so maybe it could be... Cylons and their legal rights, or it could be also conflict within society regarding working towards AI and whether or not we should be doing this as a society. You're right. If they do it right, then it could be really awesome. If it becomes like Falcon Crest, I'm going to be a little pissed off. You didn't like Falcon Crest? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it'll be curious to see what direction they do take. Like, is it going to be that the AI itself becomes such that it wants to overtake its creators, or will it be tinkering from the creator side? And I'm wondering if it's just going to be just a lot of one faction of humans is going to be like, let's develop this, and some are going to be like, let's kill it, and it's going to be like a kid who's... You know, got a bipolar fracked up parents, and it's going to be just like, uh, and then they just they snap. So, but what we have a few minutes left. What is something that you really would like to see in Capricorn? I, I mean, in terms of like when Star Wars, when we heard the prequels are coming out, you might have said something like, "I want to see." The Jedi Temple, or just we heard about, or the Clone Wars. We really wanted to see what the Clone Wars were about, even though it turned out that was really stupid. But uh, what, what in the that culture of Caprica and the pre-fall colonies would you really love to see and have them develop? I think as far as some physical, like the the Jedi Temple, seeing the manufacturing processes, Mm -hmm. how the Mm -hmm. different models, you know, came about, and not the skin job models, but the original models, the the Raiders, how and why those were developed. Yeah, who were their enemies that right. they would have to create raiders in the first place? Exactly. Yeah. Why would you create a big ship like that that can shoot so much? Yeah, who, who, were you, who did you so think much? you were defending yourself against? Yeah, well, well, who was your enemy then what? that you needed that? Right. There's a great spinoff right there, right? Who was your enemy then? I mean, you could create something. And see what choices both sides made to get us where we were. Anybody else over here? I like the social aspects that came out in the comic, the Zeret comics. Oh, yes, Looking at some comics. of the Zeric comics and the social aspects of the colonies at that time mm-hmm. would be another aspect that they could do in Caprica. Yeah. And they did kind of show that, was it in the pilot? Because they were explaining, bit. you know, because the Adamas, I guess, were from Toron. Toron, yeah. And they, they kind of showed that tiny bit. So maybe they will show more of that. I actually have, this is changing the subject slightly, but there's been a lot of dark and negative. You know, we talked about, we're not going to talk about the last half hour. So I'd just like to throw a question out to everybody on the panel as well. What was your favorite, because we only have like three minutes left, what was your favorite scene or episode in, in the whole Battlestar Galactica series? For me, Battlestar Galactica dropping into Nuke Africa. I jumped out of my seat, I cursed, and so that was my favorite, so you, you can't cheat off of me. Yeah. Oh. Well, I'm, I'm kidding, go ahead. Matt, go ahead. My absolute favorite moment is when Slick and Kara play the song on the piano. Really? And ev- it's just Michael Nankin nailed right. that moment so well. I had chills. The excitement that I had when the bucket was dropping was like, it was somehow the complete like it was the yin to the yang of that mm-hmm. moment. It was just chilling and so introspective and amazing. It's just all of it coming together. Yeah. Anyone else? Front row. 
Yeah, just uh. No, 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 was saying matt who's from bsg cast it's kind of the yin to the yang it's a line in the first season it's the one where kara she's marooned on the planet and they rescue her adama had been looking for her for a long time against the wishes of Rosalind and everybody and lee comes up to adama and he says if that had been me out there would you have been doing that or would you have done it and he said if it was you i'd still be looking and god that line just gets me to this very day and it and in a way that hurts me too because again from the finale the way it ends and um him not seeing his son at the end but that i just love that line to me it, it drove home a lot of thing about there are some things for Adama that was just so important about humanity that was so important that we have to stick together. We have to do certain things. And I thought that was just a really powerful line. Okay, just two more guys, and then we got to Well, let me get mine in oh, first okay, ahead, while you're walking. For me, I have to say, and I've been saying this forever on our podcast, that my favorite episode of all time is 33, flat out, because of the fact that the silence were still really fracking scary. Like, you... We're frightened for them because they had to jump every 33 minutes. And I enjoyed that. But when they started showing the Cylon side, I got kind of bummed out because they weren't scary anymore. So, <laughs> All right. We have one more, I guess. Yeah, I think uh, my favorite scene was when uh, Richard Hatch came in a frame for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't ask him to say that. <laughs> How much did you pay him? Yeah, that's right. No, actually, my favorite scene was probably at the very end when... Adama was on the hill and just kind of left because it's finally peace. You know, everything is for him is finally over all the uh, conflict that's been going on for however long they were in space. Okay. All right. I think that's going to wrap up our live show. I just want everyone to check out our website. That's galacticacorum.com. And again, our email is gquorum at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook. Check out. We have... 80-some episodes, a lot of stuff to check out. We have interviews with Edward James Olmos, Tom O'Pennicott, Richard Hatch over here, uh, Michael Hogan, Mark Shepard, James Callis, Nikki Klein. Uh, who am I forgetting? Katie Sackhoff. Also, well, we interviewed some, we don't just do the actors, we do production crew, we did prop master, costume designer, science advisor. So check those out. Our very next episode after this one, I did an interview with the art director for Battlestar and Caprica, Doug McLean. That's kind of an extended interview from when I talked to him back in January. So check that out. I want to thank everyone for coming. It's been a great time. Dragon Con's great. Thank you so much. And the jump clock is running. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. So say we all. Thank you, Richard. Thank you so much to our panel. And thank you very much, Mr. Richard Hatch, for coming here. Thank you very much. Thanks for making it easy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.